Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike Perry, and I'm here with the man, the myth, Brett Jones. Brett, how is everything today, my friend? Fabulous. Um, spring has sprung. Summer's here. Yard work's begun. Um, Sounds like yeah. a country song. Sounds like a country music song, doesn't it? <clears throat> I didn't lose my truck or my dog, but uh, it does have the beginnings. It really does. And, and, and I'm glad that you didn't lose your truck or your dog. Cause as far as I know, you don't have a truck or a dog. So that's why I'd be okay with losing them. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Um, so today, what are we talking about, Brett? Well, we actually got a request and, and maybe this is a good way to announce it to everyone that you can actually suggest a topic, uh, for Mike and I to discuss. Uh, we got an email uh, referencing um, Beast Tamer and Iron Maiden Challenge and our thoughts on that particular <clears throat> challenge and training for it and uh, things of that nature. So um, we we fit this into our extensive list of pre-planned uh, uh, episodes. So um, I, I wish they could see our faces right now. <laughs> <laughs> because we, right. we we have no plan. Do we I never do. Like a guy with a plan. Um, great, great reference. But yes, for, oh, uh, probably one of the best performances ever put on film. Uh, just and, and I saw Aaron. Sorry, side note. Aaron, big surprise. Uh, We're already up talking about movies again. Talker, uh, Eric um, or Aaron Eckert, uh, I believe, is the actor's name. He played Harvey um, Dent in that movie. Was he and, the guy that eventually uh, turned into Two-Face? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so he talked about his only time on camera with Heath Ledger was the hospital bed scene. And they had zero rehearsal. He's there. They're getting ready for it. In walks Heath Ledger in costume, in character, who's in the corner uh, kind of rumbling back and forth and talking to himself and, you know, being the Joker and then they started rehearsing this thing in character between the two of them. And then they had worked it out and that's what ended up on film. And so that's how that scene came about. Um, <clears throat> so the whole, do I look like a guy with a plan? You kill one little mayor. Everybody goes nuts. Um, so that's how that scene happened. Anyway, Beast Tamer and Iron Maiden, uh, which is similar to Batman. Uh, the Dark Knight, but different. So, um, give you a little. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not at all. But whatever. No, yeah, it's not. It's it. not at all. Um, but anyway, on to the topic of the day. Um, so, round about the time that uh, we uh, a 48 kilo bell started being produced, <clears throat> we figured out. Um, I would say that Sean Cairns 
was the original Beast Tamer uh, in late 05, 2005 or so. I attempted it uh, at that cert and uh, missed the pull-up. And uh, so I, Sean was the original Beast Tamer uh, with no others on the list uh, yet. And just to give you an idea on Sean, Sean's, um, you know, what we would refer to as a full-grown man. Uh, <laughs> and all he had access to at home was a 32-kilo bell. And he shows up and he, he nails the Beast Tamer Challenge uh, with a 48-kilo. For, for those of you that do not know what the Beast Tamer Iron Maiden Challenge is, uh, it is a, uh, for uh, ladies, the Iron Maiden Challenge, 24-kilo for the military press uh Pistol, single leg squat, uh, and pull up. And for gentlemen, that is a 48 kilo bell for the press, pistol, and pull up. Uh, you can go in any order you want. <clears throat> there are, uh, judging criteria. You can see this on the website. Uh, and there are, uh, commands now. Um, one of the progressions that's been made over time is we've added some judging, a little bit more judging criteria, uh, and commands to make sure that the attempts are judged, uh, evenly. Uh, across the board. Uh, so I was fortunate to uh, be back at a certification, I think in April of the following year. <clears throat> and I'd spent a little time working on my pull-up and I ended up getting uh, successfully completing the Beast Tamer Challenge uh, at that time. So sometime in early 06. Um, I can't remember what year it is now, but that was a while ago. Um, so, and uh, this is pre- it's easy to film things days. Uh, so there's no video of it. I'm sure somewhere in the archives, there's a picture, uh, of something. And, um, so yeah, we've been, do we've been running the, the challenge for quite a while. Uh, we've got a pretty good list of people that have accomplished it, uh, over the years. And it is one of those things. I mean, it's a great, I think, long-term goal. It displays a variety of strengths, uh, from the press, the pull up and the single leg squat. And yeah, I mean, that's just a little bit of history on it. And the fact that, uh, I was fortunate enough at, at one time to, um, have a judge look away at the right moment and, uh, be able to successfully complete, <laughs> uh, the Beast Tamer Challenge. Yeah. And, uh, I wish I could say that I, uh, completed this, but, um, I did not actually. So, um, in training, which doesn't matter, by the way, I'm just going to let you know in training, I hit two out of three. But when I went to attempt it, um, it was already, I think it was like halfway through or after the first day of my level two out in St. Paul. And I, we had already done our half body weight military press. We had already done our pistol and I was pretty tired. And then I think it was time for me to try and I just didn't do it. I failed. Um, uh, but let me tell you why I failed because <laughs> I failed, <laughs> but the, the, the lesson here is why I failed. Um, I pushed too quickly too soon. I didn't practice patience. Um, ended up with some banged up shoulders in the process um, because uh, I'm a moron and I learned the hard way. Um, but I will say this, um, through that journey of, of completing two out of three on my own um, and getting really, really close, I, I actually think for me, it was more of a psychological part. I missed the press. Um, I hit the 48, 44 for a double in training, but for some reason, I just couldn't hit it live. And, uh, and, uh, it is what it is. So, but I got pretty darn close and, um, I learned a lot uh, throughout that process. I learned what works and what doesn't. Um, 
And I think the, the biggest lesson for me was patience. I was young, strong and dumb and thought I could do whatever I wanted. And I rushed the process. I actually wrote about this. I did, uh, I did the 40 day plan by Dan John. And, and if you're not remember, if you're not familiar with that, I highly recommend you check it out. But so I was like, Hey, I'm going to do for 40 training sessions straight a pistol, a press and a pull up in all different varieties of weights, et cetera. And if you, if you're not familiar with that program, it's, it's, you know, from easy strength. Um, yeah. I mean, week two, I was trying to, I was trying to complete it, man. Like I was the guy trying to go as heavy as possible and I was burning the candle at both ends. I was training too hard. Um, I was always pushing the weight, even on my light days, I tried to make it a heavy day and, um, I failed and I beat myself up. Now, did I get strong? Yeah, I got pretty strong. Was I injured? Yeah, I was injured because, I mean, I ended up sort of dealing with some uh, shoulder impingement because I was just go, 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 go. I was ignoring the warning signs and uh, I ended up getting, you know, kind of a banged up shoulder from that. But I did learn a lot about programming, about how my body responds to load and volume. And I, and I do think that that experience of failing made me a much better coach and I was fortunate enough to help a bunch of other people with their programming to complete the Beast Tamer Challenge. So while I haven't done it myself, um, Brett has, so at least someone on this podcast is successful. Um, <laughs> but anywho, um, yeah, so we're going to talk about, you know, uh, the importance of, of patience, but we're going to talk about a, a few other strategies and components of working towards this goal because, I mean, it's a worthy goal, but it's not an easy goal. Definitely. And let's, let's talk logistics first, because I think you brought up something that's, uh, that, that's something that people may not consider. Typically at the event that you're going to challenge the Beast Tamer Iron Maiden challenge, it will be after lunch on the first day of that event. If it's a level one, it'll be after lunch on the Friday. If it's a level two, it's after lunch on the Saturday. Um, probably the same thing for SFB and SFL is probably same thing. Uh, if if they're offering it uh, at at that at that event, you just need to be able to uh, check check on that. Uh, so what that means is you need to be able to hit those lifts in a semi fatigued state, because even if you're doing it at a level one, you will have completed a couple rounds of swing instruction and get up instruction, and uh, there's been several hundred reps and a couple of practice sessions that have already happened. Uh, uh, and then, then you'll get the chance to, to challenge for Beast Hammer Iron Maiden. So, um, if you're hoping for that 10% bump of strength because you're in front of a group and you think you're going to get all psyched up and you'll make up the, the 10% that you're missing on those lifts, um, no. <laughs> Trust me, I, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not going to happen. Um, and you need to know what it's like to do those three lifts in secession. Now, you get rest, uh, even if you're the only person attempting the Iron Maiden or Beast Hammer Challenge at the event, we're going to give you rest between attempts and between reps, but you need to know what it's like to uh, run this, and you need to know what your preferred order is. If you prefer to do the pistol first, or the pull-up first, or the press first, whatever the case may be, you need to know what that order is and, and have a plan of attack uh, in place. Similar to if you were getting ready for a powerlifting meet and you only did, you know, squat on Mondays, which nobody ever does. Sorry, 
bench on Mondays, uh, squat on uh, Wednesdays, and then you know deadlift on Fridays. And then all of a sudden, you're signed up for a Saturday meet where you then have to put together all three lifts in a different order. You're going to make a, you know, that's going to have an impact on your first meet because now you're learning on the on the job, so to speak. So yeah. understand the logistics. Understand you're going to be in a little bit of a to a a little bit to a moderately fatigued state. Uh, and so the logistics of how this thing happens matter. And I've seen a lot of people who I think probably in training in on isolated days were able to hit these lifts, but when you put them midday in a fatigue moderately fatigued state uh and and under a little bit of pressure um the attempt just doesn't come through so think about the logistics uh of of when and where you're going to be attempting this make sure that you have trained to those conditions um that's that's kind of first off so i, I think that a lot of attempts uh that where people struggle could be successful if they were, um, if they had paid attention to the logistics. Absolutely. And, and it kind of goes the same for like, uh, for an SFG one or, or two weekend. Like if you're not acclimated to three days and that type of volume, you better train, uh, for that specificity as you get closer and closer to that weekend. Um, and kind of same thing with a powerlifting meter or if you're attempting to be same or challenge, I mean, um, it's specificity matters. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, like, like Brett was saying, if you're used to doing a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, heavy thing, well, now you got to do all of them in like a span of 10 minutes. And it's very, very different. And it's very, very fatiguing, not to mention if you are, again, doing a whole bunch of other things ahead of time. I, I would say, honestly, one of the biggest things is um, especially, you know, like the grip stuff, because if you are attending a level one or level two, you're already swinging bells, you're already doing get ups, maybe doing presses or whatever. So there's going to be some grip fatigue. Um, but specificity matters. And uh, to sort of double up on what Brett was saying. Um, don't plan on not hitting it at all in your own training and showing up and think, well, it's just under the lights. I'm going to perform. No, no, you're not. You're not going to do it. Uh, great idea in theory, but um, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Um, here's the way that I look at it. If you are going to attempt the Beast Tamer Challenge, Iron Maiden, um, you want to be able to hit those numbers on a bad day. What do I mean by that? Well, you may show up and it may be a bad day. You're traveling. Maybe you didn't sleep. Maybe you, you know, you get a couple tweaks or twinges and, uh, you can't wait for the conditions to be perfect. You can't wait for the perfect lighting, the perfect music, the perfect pre-workout, the perfect food. Um, if you are planning for that to happen, plan on being disappointed because it will not happen. So, this is why patience is important because if you take the time to really build that base, and we're going to talk about specifically what that looks like, but the wider the base, the more stable the gains. The more stable the gains, the more consistent the performance. The more consistent the performance, the more predictability you have when your high-performance endeavors happen. So high-performance training will lead to a high-performance performance, if you will, right? And that's the thing that we we have to remember. Whether, whether this is sport or lifting is – we always, under stressful times, we revert back to our training. So don't think that just magically it's going to, whoa, we did it. it. It does not work like that. Um, now, could that happen? Yes, but that is a low percentage bet. And uh, if that's the case, I'm betting on the house because it's uh, it's not going to happen. But um, 
you need to practice patience and time. I did not do that. I tried to force adaptations and forcing things rarely work well. Agreed. So I think um, if, if we drill down each event in, in particular, um, the other piece of advice that I'm going to give as, as we talk, begin to talk about training is video yourself and have somebody else have somebody else look at the video because I, I, I do it for myself all the time. I'll, I'll film a little clip of me doing something and put on social media. And then I, the first time I watch it is when I'm going to post it. And I don't have a second option because I just film one thing and, and pop it up there. And I, I will catch things in, in that piece of video where, you know, I'm like, Oh, well, I wish I had a second video, <laughs> but I don't. So I have to go, go with it. So the, in particular on things like the press, there's a little bit of leg drive. There's a little bit of, there's downward movement of the bell before you press. There's too much side lean. So you really want to pay attention to the rules that are on the website. Um, video yourself as you're training to heavier and heavier weights. And there's, there's a difference. I can see, I can watch myself right now in doing a 32 kilo. Uh, iron cardio sequence versus doing a 36 or a 40 iron cardio sequence. And I can tell you there's a difference in how those presses look and how much body lean gets involved. And, uh, and that's the center of mass of the bell gets far enough away to where the press becomes just a little bit different. And for me, that cut point is like the 36 and 40 up to the 32. I can do just about anything I want with a bell 36 and 40. The center of mass of the bell has changed enough to where I need to, I need to pay attention. Um, so, um, video, all three lifts, make sure you, you're, you're hitting your dead hang. You don't have any downward movement before the pull, before the press, you know, catch those technique things early. Just because the bell went up, just because you went over the bar, just because you stood back up does not mean it happened to the standards of that, uh, of that lift. So pay attention, use video, get another pair of eyes, a good, hopefully a good coaching pair of eyes on the attempt so that you can catch these things early. So they don't become habits. Yes. And, and, and honestly, here's the way that I look at it. And again, I haven't, I haven't done it, but I've seen a lot of people do it in person. You want to own it. You want to leave no doubt. You don't want to hope it. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people hope it. They hope that it's going to happen and they hope they're going to, you know, pass all those guidelines under a stressful situation. Um, again, that's why I say if you can do it on a bad day, you're going to be good. And uh, that's the biggest thing is is really go in and just and, and just like you've done it before, like you've been there. And look, you can tell and we can tell. We can tell when someone's put in the time and they do it because there is no question that it's legitimate and that they passed. So, I mean, and, and it's kind of, you know, it's one of those things that it, you know, if it looks good, it usually is good. Granted, there's different rules, but just, you know, don't hope it, own it. And that's why we encourage you to practice patience because it takes a very, very long time to do it well. And so there's a difference between peaking for this and peaking for a powerlifting meet. Right. Powerlifting meet, your opening lift is going to be something you could hit for a triple. 
your second lift, depending upon the front, how the first lift goes, your second lift might be a small PR. And then your third lift is where you go for the gusto. Mm-hmm. Well, you only get two attempts at each of these lifts. And I've actually only seen one person ever miss the first attempt on all three lifts and come back and get them on the second lifts and su- successfully complete the beast tamer once in quite a few years of administering it. So let's talk training. Um, step one, know where you are. Um, what, what's your, what's your one RM press? What's your pistol? What's your, what's your pull up? Know where you are and where you need to go and identify, uh, and you might have to run a training cycle before you really know the answer to this, which one of these lifts is going to be the one that's going to challenge you the most. Um, I can tell you historically, it's typically the pull up or the press. Um, the, the pistol seems to be something that a lot of people with a little bit of training, uh, whether it's Beast Tamer or Iron Maiden, the pistol tends to be one that, uh, people get to with a, a good degree of confidence. Um, very few people are like, man, I've got the press and the pull up, but boy, that pistol, I'm not saying it never happens, but I'm saying the, the, the 80, 20 play is you're going to have a problem, uh, a delay in your pull up or press. Um, and the pistol is going to come along, um, pretty, pretty nicely. So know where your starting point is, know which one's going to challenge you the most. Um, if you have a physical roadblock in the way, if you're lacking ankle mobility, if you know your overhead mobility or stability is a problem, if you have historically got grumpy shoulders because you were pushing away on pull-ups, you need to get that stuff out of the way before you start this journey and monitor it as you go. And that's, you know, where you might lay out the world's most perfect program and then your shoulder gets grumpy and you then have to change the program. So be willing to do that. Yes. And, 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 and because this, this challenge is so specific, um, and you're gonna, when you get into the meat and potatoes of the, of a training program, whoever you decide to work with, whoever programs with you, um, specificity is king. And being in tune with how you're feeling, especially if you're doing something where you're wavering the load, uh, and, and you have to know how you feel on good days, bad days, and sort of medium days, right? And, um, knowing yourself is, is, is so important because when you're really in tune with your body and you're, you're working towards this sort of high level achievement, pay attention to, you know, how you feel day in and day out, because, um, depending on what type of program you're going to be following, especially if it's going to be something that's a little bit more biased towards auto regulation, um, et cetera, if you're not doing specific numbers, then some days you're going to be able to push it. Some days you're not going to be able to push it. But if you are going to go that way, just remember that you don't have to force the numbers. If you're consistent and you train hard, but you train smart, the numbers will happen. So, but it really depends on what style of program you're running. I mean, some people, like that auto regulation style. Some people like, just give me a program. Tell, tell me how many sets and reps with this weight and that weight and give me the percentages and go from there. And it's, uh, you know, it's really going to, the, the programming in my opinion is really going to depend on, um, how you respond to training. Like Brett said, you may have to run a cycle first to see how you respond to that specific, uh, that specific style of training. Because I mean, yes, you can do stuff to have carryover, but specificity is king and. Um, it's, it's good to be familiar with, uh, those specific movements and to see how your body, 
um, is impacted from those movements. And when you've been training those movements for, you know, a few months. And I would say that uh, what do not be surprised if the lift that you thought was going to be the most challenging turns out not to be. Mm-hmm. That it turns out to be another one of the lifts uh, because, and I mentioned it a little bit before, you hit these little cut points where up up to X weight, everything feels fantastic. And you start trying to push beyond that that little bubble. And all of a sudden, it's like, holy mackerel, like I made... I thought my press was going to be the big challenge. And I, I, um, and it turns out like once I got past the 36, I made pretty quick progress to the 48. The reverse can happen. You can make really good progress to the 44. And then that last four kilos takes you twice as long as it took you to get to the 44. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing happens on the pull-up. Maybe up to a certain weight, you're flying up and you're touching your throat to the bar and pull-up's awesome. And then you start to make that one little four-kilo change and all of a sudden, the pull-up feels completely different or yeah. or you, or the progress is, is better than you expected. So uh, my, my favorite saying with my students right now is that uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy and you are the enemy. And so we, we don't know how this plan is going to go because I don't know what's happening for you, in you, to you for the next four, six, eight weeks. Uh, we will adapt, change and overcome. But, um, so specifically for each lift, um, for the press, um, whether you look at, you know, Fabio's victorious. Uh, definitely check out the article that Fabio, uh, Kathy Dooley and I did on optimizing the grip for the military press. Uh, whether you choose a plan strong plan, um, or even a built strong plan, whatever style, or if you, I'm, I'm a fan of, uh, iron cardio for taking somebody's press up because I can, I can work a lot of different variations. I can hit some pretty high volume sessions. I can have some good recovery and, 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 and I see people gaining four to eight kilos on the press, uh, within pretty, pretty, uh, short periods of time when, when they focus on that. So whatever plan you choose, um, run a cycle before you really start trying to peak for the event. So you know how you do, uh, on that particular training, uh, plan. And again, you, you might do really well on, uh, ETK on an enter the kettlebell, ladder approach, medium weight, high volume, and you make great progress up to a point. Here's what I see happen with a lot of people is when you're used to pressing a medium weight for high volume with a lot of speed, when you go heavy, that speed doesn't have a low gear behind it. So there's, you've lost your grind and now you got to go back and rebuild your press because you've gotten used to moving that lighter weight with a lot of speed. And you don't not other people have great transfer. Other people, they do a, they do a moderate uh, weight and high volume approach and the bell flies up and they hit PRs and, and life is good. I was never one of those people. I can operate at a really high percentage of my one RM. Um, those one RM charts don't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can I could hit five. I hit five fifteen for a double in the back squat. Um, and my max in competition was 518. Now you look at the charts and a 515 double would have me 
way above 518 uh, for, for my max. So I use that uh, as an example of how high a percentage of my 1RM I can operate at. Uh, and those 1RM charts don't work for me. Um, you might be the opposite. Uh, if you look at Reload and uh, how Fabio and Pablo do some of their programming, they test your 80% 1RM repetition max. And you see a range uh, of distribution. At There are people who had a really low rep at an 80% 1RM. There's people that are getting 10, 12 reps and 80% 1RM. And technically, according to the charts, they shouldn't be doing that. But that's where, you know, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. Um, in, in practice, there is. And so you have to take all of that into consideration. Technique-wise, understand how that offset center of mass, how the size of that bell is going to impact your press. Uh, that's really the biggest thing. And Victorious and a lot of our other resources have some really good tips for you there on um, programming the military press. Yeah. And, and uh, again, you just, you have to, everything's easy until it's heavy. And I'm not sure who exactly said that. Was that Riff maybe? It was Riff. But it was Riff. Yeah. Riff's got some good, some, some solid one-liners, but it is. And, and you can't bank on the fact that, um, uh, you know, just cause you have this number, for this amount of reps that it's automatically going to transfer. I've had a few athletes that I've worked with and like, Oh, based off of, you know, this, I should be able to do this. I go, yeah, until you do it, I, that has, I have zero interest in using that number because until you show me that you can lift that weight, it's just a, uh, it's just an idea. And once I see it, cool. Then, you know, cause everything, everything is easy until it's heavy. So um, that's why it's important to test and, and get that baseline. And um uh, just to have a starting point and, uh, you always need uh, a metric to use. Um, and, and not like, Hey, that felt light. Well, just cause it felt light, you know, you, you have to actually, uh, move the weight and, and get those repetitions in. So, um, Brett, what are some of the limiting factors you see, uh, when people are doing the press? What do you, what are some of the obstacles people run into? Uh, a solid clean. Yeah. To set up their press, uh, is one of the biggest things. Um, I see people that they're, they're still having to use two hands and do a cheat clean to get the bell into position. Um, they're finishing their clean and they're clearly not ready to press because that clean is still too heavy for them. Mm -hmm. Um, you want to be able to zip up into that clean and a technique that I've been using and teaching a lot is to inhale through the clean into the rack. So when I hit the rack position, I don't have to pause try to inhale under all of that weight and then do my press. I inhale through the clean. So when I get to the rack, there's a little, oh. there's a little pause, but I am tense. I am coiled. I am ready to press. I would say those are the, the, the two biggest things. Um, the clean doesn't set, set them up. And then they're trying to find their tension or set their tension once they're already in the rack position. Yeah, absolutely. The clean is huge. And, um, because you, it, it sounds silly, but you literally have one shot to land it where you want to be. And if you, if you, you know, you miss the clean or, it, you know, it, it goes in the wrong position and you can't catch it. I mean, look, that's, that's suboptimal and, and it's not going to count because, uh, you know, there's specific guidelines and specific rules, but, but that goes back to practice. You can't hope it's going to land in the right part in the rack position and then go ahead and press it. You want to 
you want to clean a bell and press a bell so many times that it's automatic. It, it just lands there. You don't, you shouldn't have to, at a certain point, if it becomes automatic, you shouldn't have to think, is it going to go there? It should just sort of happen because you have hopefully put in the amount of time that it's, it's second nature. And, and we talk about this in martial arts. It, a lot of the times it's like, you know, a technique when you don't have to think about doing the technique It just, you react to a certain scenario and the technique happens. And, uh, very, very similar to uh, strength training, right? You, you can't just hope that all of a sudden it's going to land or move a certain way. You should just do it a lot. So you can't get it wrong. Um, but yet 100%, I would say that the, uh, um, the clean is, is, is huge. And, um, but uh, let's let's talk about a couple other strategies. I don't want to get into too much programming because there's so many different ways. But what are some tricks, if you will, Brett, that you have seen to help people get over some plateaus? Uh, for a heavy press, um, it's it's really defining where that person is on that kind of 80% 1RM continuum. Are they somebody that needs some more reps? Are they somebody that needs a heavier approach? Um and, and that's really the biggest thing. Um, mm-hmm. Negatives, you know, getting a heavy weight overhead and doing a negative um, with a barbell, it it has a different. The offset center mass of the bell just changes what you're able to do uh, in that negative. So I haven't seen that be uh, terribly successful. I have seen people push their bent press and get a bump on their uh, military press. And I will say for me at the time that I hit the beast tamer challenge and, and could press the beast at, at uh, um, you know, just on a bad day to your point, uh, I was powerlifting, And so I was going in the gym and I was, I was uh, squatting in the fours and uh, deadlifting in the fives and benching, you know, at least 135 and, um, and, uh, uh, yeah, my bench wasn't my greatest lift, but but I could go in and and be ballpark around three hundred on on any given day, three fifteen. So one hundred and one hundred and six pounds. It's one hundred and six pounds. Like I could I could do nearly anything I wanted with it. Um, I have not been powerlifting in oh, quite some time, and one hundred six pounds is heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, sometimes the best way to to bump that one RM press is build the rest of your strength, you know, get to the point where you're moving several hundred pounds in a lift. And then all of a sudden, and and I've joked about this for a long time. If the heaviest weight you lift is the heaviest weight you lift, it'll always feel heavy. But when you're used to, to moving heavy weight, uh, and that's relative to the, to the individual, obviously. But like I said, for me, it was, you know, I had, had a max squat, a 518, 515 for a double. I was pulling 573 in the deadlift. I was uh, benching 315 to 325. Um, I could go in and move some weight. And so for me, 48 kilo, yeah, okay. A little bit of practice, boom, it's going to move. So uh, sometimes the best way to get over that plateau, build the rest of your strength. So so it's funny you say that because if I were to go back and – like say, hey, I want to, I want to go ahead and I want to try the beast hammer challenge again. I would not start with a kettlebell. I would probably write myself an eight week program with the barbell doing a bunch of military presses, and I would push that barbell military press as far as I possibly could for you know eight weeks or so, and then I, w- I would get just all over strong. You know, I would push that. I would push my bench press, um, and I would probably one arm. I would probably, yeah, I would definitely hit a one arm push up, and that would you know. 
because like a one arm pushup is a very, very high tension drill. And for a lot of people, it's a very similar tension, uh, that you have to use for a very, very heavy press. Right. But, um, I would, I would absolutely, if I were to do it again, I would say, you know what? I'm going to spend a bunch of time with the barbell. I'm going to get my military press with the barbell really, really solid. And then I would write myself uh, a program that I think that would work for me. And that's how I would attack it this way. But I wouldn't look if I were, I would probably a lot six months. Honestly, I would probably a lot six months or more. And, and it's, you know, one of those things where you, you just, you do need the time. So that's how I would approach it as well. But strong is strong and, and, and all over strong is huge. If you look at a lot of the people that have done both the, uh, you know, the Iron Maiden and the Beast Tamer, they're strong all over. Like a lot of these people, you know, have a respectable, uh, bench press and, you know, a respectable one on one, like push up and, and they can do all this other stuff too. So strong is strong. And, but then you need specificity. Right. So I'm not saying do a bunch of military presses and then just you're going to grab a beast and you're just going to go press it because there is specificity and there is technique. But I will say this, if you get you've spent six, you know, six to eight weeks with a barbell doing a really, really intelligent program that works for you. When you do go into that cycle, it's going to be easier because you have already gotten all over strong and you've you've moved a heavy load over overhead and uh, and go from there. So, um you know, that's kind of the idea of like uh, a little bit of the what the hell effect, but it's not what the hell we know what the hell it's, it's not like, where did that come from? We know that strong is strong and a high performance lift is going to move you towards a high performance lift. So if you can do a heavy, a really nice, heavy barbell military press, that is going to set your nervous system up for a nice, heavy uh, kettlebell press down the road. I'm not saying it's going to be right out of the gate, but you know, when you can sort of get your body to self-organize and, and get everything set up the way you want, um, you know, high performance training generally results in high performance outcomes. Strong is strong and never a bad thing to get really strong. Absolutely. And, and so let's talk about the pistol real quick because the, um, we're going to, I'm going to say a couple of things about the pull-up that, that probably don't apply to any of the other lifts. Um, again, for the pistol, uh, for the, uh, definitely review the the podcast that we did on that on getting the roadblocks out of the way and and setting the foundation and you know some ideas and strategies we have for the pistol and single leg squat in general. Um, but that really good um, back then when I was when I was squatting heavy, uh, knocking out a pistol was not a problem. Uh, that was uh, you know um, you can talk bilateral deficit all you want, and I, I'm also a fan of single leg training. But there's also the base level of strength in something like a deadlift and squat that really facilitates and a kettlebell front squat. Um, being able to, to knock out respectable lifts and all of those are going to set the foundation for the pistol. Uh, review the podcast that we did. Uh, work with a coach a little bit if you've got some roadblocks in the way. Uh, keep your pistol practice low volume. That's the biggest thing I have to say on, on training the pistol is uh that that is a move that in my opinion does not respond well to volume uh not because you won't get stronger but because the cost to your body of a high volume approach single leg squats typically doesn't work out well yeah and and as someone who did pistols weighted pistols 5 days a week for 40 training sessions straight yes i agree with you 100% and there were those days, man, where I would be like, I can do my pistols today. And I'm supposed to do, you know, five, three, two. And I just don't want to do anything right now because I am absolutely shot. And look, 
if you've done pistols, even a light pistol is a heavy pistol. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, there's, there's a bunch of tension involved. And, um, you know, what I've learned with, with the pistol is, is exactly what Brett said, but, um, I'm going to just give you my advice on, on programming for, for the pistol based off of this. And, and, and if I'm being brutally honest, the advice that I'm going to give you on the pistol is the exact same advice I would give you on the pull up when it comes to programming. Wave the load. Heavy, light, medium. Always keep your rep. Never go over ten to twelve reps on your on your light day, as far as you know pistols go. So, like for example, on your light day, we may do two by five, or you may be doing three by four, and that's kind of your your lighter day, higher volume. But that's twelve reps total. I mean, if you've ever done five pistols in a row, that's really hard. So I would say. At the most, you're, you know, you're looking at 10 to 12 repetitions on your, um, on your light day. And then on your medium day, um, usually, um, get people somewhere in the, the, the five to seven, six to eight total repetitions. And that may be looking like a, um, you know, a, a three by two or a three by three or not a three by three, like a three by two or a two by three or something like that. Um, but again, it's load wavering. And then on your, on your heavy day, maybe some doubles and some singles and that's it. But the total volume you have to pay attention to. I've never gone over 12. Every time I did, um, I was, I would always get banged up. And, and I would, I honestly can tell you that from my experience training a lot of people, and I've gotten a lot of my fighters upwards of a hundred pound weighted pull up. And, um, I use those same rules. It's just, uh, you know, kind of heavy, light, medium, and just pay attention to the overall volume and, um, understand that if you've never experienced neurological fatigue, Welcome to the pistol <laughs> because you can experience a ton of neurological fatigue with eight kilos in your hand, especially if a pistol is hard for you because man, body positioning, tension, um, you know, the, the amount of, uh, the amount of tension needed, even in a, what we call it a naked pistol, body weight pistol, um, a light, light pistol takes a lot because man, you are going has to grasp below parallel and uh, you need to be zipped up and you need to be stable. And uh, you know, a big part of that is just uh, there's a certain amount of, again, of, of, of core stability and, and that using that radiation that you need to have, but it still needs to be fairly high to do a pistol. I mean, you can press like for example, you grab a four kilo kettlebell, anybody, you can press a hundred different ways. Pistols, you don't have a bunch of options. You're already diving into somewhat of a high performance lift. Would you agree? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I would say the the second ever uh, TSC, uh, which was in like March or April of '03, um, I did uh, with a 32 kilo. Uh, did 10 pistols on the first leg and went right into because you had to into the second leg and only made it through nine uh, pistols. But I can tell you that. 19 pistols in a set with a 32 kilo bell was enough for the rest of my life. I don't <laughs> I feel like I, enough for what? Forever. <laughs> <laughs> forever. I don't need to do pistols ever again. I did them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of neurological fatigue, a lot of, uh, there's, there's, there's depending and depending on your structure, Pablo used to always comment like, Brent, you're using too much ankle in your pistol. I'm like, I don't have a choice. My yeah. hip doesn't flex past a certain point. So if I don't flex at my ankle, I'm not completing the lift. 
Yeah. So your individual structure, your history, like you're going to bring all of that to you. And it more, almost more than any other lift, it shows up in the pistol. Um, so definitely watch for, for all of that. Um, turning directions to the pull up. Um, number one, the underside of your chin is not your throat. <laughs> so define, know what your throat is and be able to get your throat to the bar. That's the biggest thing I see in the pistol, in the pull up is people convince themselves that if they stick their chin into the bar or they just sneak their chin over the bar, which is still the underside of your chin, you have a long way to pull before you actually get the bar to your throat. So if you look up and you come down the underside of your chin until you hit the actual surface of your throat, that's what you're aiming for with the bar. Um, and that's the biggest thing. Um, nailing the dead hang, uh, you know, that matters definitely as well. Um, and yeah, that, that's from a, a, from a technique standpoint, that's probably the biggest thing. There's going to be a lot of individual variation in grip width and in, you know, how you, uh, approach that. But I will say that from a general standpoint, the pull up is one of those lifts that benefits from a lot of uh, variety. So chin-ups, neutral grip, tactical, mixed grip, you know, work some different variations in there. And then to your point, uh, especially with weighted pull-ups and especially as you start to get heavy, uh, low volume. The overall approach is just low volume. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm glad that you uh, you kind of talked about those landmarks because, um, you know, there's rules for a reason, right? Like in a powerlifting meet, you get a pull from the ground. Like you're not going to go, well, Hey, I'm taller. So I need boxes. Can we bump this up four inches? Like that's, that, that doesn't work. Right. And it's going to be the same thing. Right. I mean, with, with all the other things. So, um, you know, it needs to be clean. It needs to be honest. It needs to be sort of a true, a true grind and a true lift. Um, one thing on the pull up, I will add though, um, when it's light, I would actually argue that try to aim, um, as low on the chest as you can. I'm not saying you have to do a pull up to the, to the, you know, to your belly button, but if you can, when you're training lighter, if you can get to the point where, you know, you're maybe somewhere around your collarbone, um, and that's sort of the height of your pull up, um, that's not a bad thing to do when you, uh, when you have a little bit lighter weight, because what's going to happen is as we start to get heavier, you may, your the range of motion may be a little bit harder to achieve. And if you give yourself a little bit of extra leeway, even an inch and a half, if you're used to pulling at collarbone and then, you know, now you pull the throat, well, that, that little extra difference might, might be significant. Um, so, you know, when in doubt, if you can, if you can pull, get those pull-ups and you can get it, you know, obviously on throat, but even maybe a little bit to like collarbone, maybe even slightly below, um, I think that that would be absolutely beneficial, um, you know, for you down the road. And, and I'm not talking kipping guys. I'm not talking kipping because kipping is a very, very different thing. And you're not going to kip with a 48 kilo on you. It's just not going to happen. So, I mean, you could try. And if you do send us the video of you attempting it, cause we're going to get a lot of hits on that video. Um, but it's, there's a difference between being strong enough to just have a strict pull up right to the top of your chest and we've all know what it looks like. It just, you're like, Oh my gosh, it looks like they're on a slingshot. They just go whoop. And you're like, wow. I mean, that's that again, leave no doubt when it comes to range of motion. Absolutely. 
absolutely. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, the, there's a couple different pull-up strategies. There is an acceleration strategy, and then there's more of a grinding uh, strategy. Um, you know, if, if you accelerate through the, the early part of the lift where you have a little bit more mechanical advantage, um, you can get to the, typically get to the throat a little bit easier. Other people are not going to like, they're just not that kind of power, uh, athlete. And so they have a little bit more of a grind, uh, mm -hmm. to the top. And so know which one you are, you know, uh, and know which one you are under a heavy load mm -hmm. as body weight. I think pretty much everybody can accelerate once mm -hmm. you get some load on you, you, you got to know which one you are. Um, you know, there's, and finishing the pull-up is always, um, I think the, the, the biggest thing. And so, you know, there's a couple of strategies that you can get involved there. You can, you know, use a band, but not so it's helping you so that you're having to pull up against it so that you have to find that compensatory acceleration, find that grind to finish the pull-up, um, building that top-end strength um is is probably the biggest strategy but that is a very powerful medicine that you only need a very small amount of um and yeah that's i mean the pull-up um the the pull-up is similar to the deadlift i would say at a certain point you just got to grab the bar and pick it up and <laughs> um, you know with the squat if you try to just kind of you know grip and rip your squat probably not going to end well but you can probably grip and rip a deadlift and and have it turn out okay at a certain point with the pull up you just got to pull up like it's yeah. it's uh and spend your time building that skill build that strength watch out for your elbows when you start to get that little warning sign from your elbows pay attention cuz you don't want a 6 10 20 month journey of trying to get through some, some elbow irritation, uh, that gets in the way of everything that you're trying to accomplish with, with the elbow in particular, in my experience, if you pay attention to those early warning signs and you back off and you let it heal up and you learn that lesson, people tend to do really well. If you try to push through, you're probably setting yourself up for months of, uh, work on trying to deal with that elbow yeah and, and and honestly like at least for me like yeah it's cool if you do the beast tamer challenge but if you injure yourself in the process and you're jacked up for six to eight months because you did the beast tamer like yeah it's cool you can you get their name up there but like just remember like you got one body right i mean it, it's it's cool but like at the end of the day um you got to be smart because um you know, it's cool to do stuff like that, but it's even cooler to be functional when you're older and, and not have to manage all these injuries. Um, and, uh, and I'm not saying you shouldn't train hard. I want you to train hard. I just want you to be smart and remember the big picture. So, um, the last thing I want to say about the pull up and actually with all this stuff, guys, is rest in between. Um, less is, I mean, sorry, uh, more is more. <laughs> more rest is better. More is gooder. Um, no, seriously. Um, I always think about it as like, uh, like I treated all of those lifts like a power lift. Like, Hey, I need at least three to five minutes in between. And that's how I treated it. Um, for me, especially when I was going heavy, uh, a minute and a half, two minutes just was not enough. Um, and, uh, so I think the overall thing here, guys, is be patient, 
right? Um, take your time, build those skills. The wider the base, the more stable the gains. And, and that is the one thing that I want you to think about is, well, several things I want you to think about, but that's a big part of it is, is, uh, is, um, take your time, build it right. And, and, and some good things will happen. Any other words 100%. of encouragement or advice, Dr. Jones? Uh, no, uh, give yourself time. And, uh, this is probably not something where you do it. And you said it earlier, if you're showing up and you're hoping to PR, um, at the event, uh, I've actually never seen that work out. Um, <laughs> so, you know, this, you need to be ready for that semi to moderately fatigued state. Uh, you need to know what it's like to do it midway through an event, uh, and a certification like a strong first cert. And, um, it needs to be something, you know, you know, you can, you can do. Does, does that mean you might not be ready for it at the event that you had quote planned for? Okay. Do, yeah. do it, do it, do it later. Um, you know, live, live, live to train another day. And, uh, as, as I kind of said early on, uh, we, we got into this podcast because of a request. Um, we're interested in your requests. We, we, we'd love to know what you want to hear about from us. And, um, and then, yeah, then, um, stop me before I go into another movie quote. All right. That's it. Jones, you're done. You're cut off for the day. (laughs) You made Um, the list, Francis. There you go. Um, (laughs) we landed on the moon. Sorry. Um, great movie. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're not allowed to put in requests. Um, anyways. Thank you all for listening. We we truly appreciate it. Um, if you could do us a huge favor and leave us a positive review in whatever platform that you listen to us on. So uh, again, this has been the Minimum Effective Dose podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.